Hey, what's going on, y'all? This is Mega Ran, creator of songs such as Avalanche and Infinite Lives. You are now listening to Adrian Has Issues. Turn it up. Maybe you'll learn something. Peace. Hey everybody, welcome to Adrian Has Issues. Today's guest is a musician, an audio engineer based out of New York City. His name is Cal Warner. However, through his stage persona named Schematis, his music can be heard through a number of multimedia projects and video games, including Submarine Wars, Oriya Rift, Oracle of Oriya, and he also did a soundtrack for a fan-made Mega Man game titled Mega Man ZX Genesis. His latest project, Anna Real, is perhaps his most ambitious and accomplished composition to date. And the difference is that with this, the music takes a more biographical and much more personal approach than some of the other works. And the music kind of has this really interesting blend of electronica, breakbeat, world fusion, just to name a few genres because you kind of mesh a lot of them together. But what you created is something really fantastic, and I can't wait to talk about Anna Real and get more into the inspiration behind it. But please welcome to the show, Cal Warner, a.k.a. Schematist. Welcome, Cal. How are you? Uh, thanks for the warm introduction, Adrian. I appreciate that. Um, I'm actually pretty good. Uh, a little chilly. Uh, fall <laughs> just really started here. Right. Um, I'm, I'm still learning how to dress. Like, I was so used to just, like, walking outside without a coat and hoodie. But now it's time for the layers. But I'm really good <laughs> otherwise. A couple of weeks ago, I had Mega Ran on, you know, talking about video games and his inspiration and how video games inspire his work. And it was great to now get to talk to you. So it's like, I love when like my several fandoms kind of get to clash together. Video game music is about 90 or 80% of my iPod. It's just ridiculous. Like, I can't have anyone take it or look at it because it's like they would never understand what any of that stuff is. It's like a ton of Final Fantasy, yep. a ton of Street Fighter stuff, Mega mm-hmm. Man stuff. And I love it. It's just how I relate. It's just great. Which, speaking of Street Fighter, though, just total aside, how yeah. amazing is Sagat's theme from Street Fighter to the World Warrior? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> There's something about those time signatures. And it's like, you know, Ryu's theme, everybody knows, of course, Gao's theme kind of became an right. internet meme. So that's really popular. But I feel like not a lot of love's given to Sagat's theme because it's such an odd mix. And that's honestly the one reason why I wish I played drums because that beat is just so incredible. Like, I want to be able to play that on an actual drum set. You have really excellent taste. Because I, I, I think I, at first, I didn't like Sagat's theme. But then it, it kind of grew on me. I'm like, whoa, this is deep. It's different. But it, it worked. Maybe I'm just genetically predisposed to good percussion. But because uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> once I got that beat and like that bass sign, I'm like, oh, my gosh, this has to be like one of the best video game themes ever. I, honestly, we might have to do a separate recording just on who has like the bigger collection of video game music in their iPod. Oh, man. <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> but I've been looking through your work, and you accomplished so much, and I just love the eclecticism of your music. But before we even get into Anareal, I'm always a big fan of origin stories, since I do talk a lot about comic books on this podcast. But I do want to also get to know your background and how you got started uh, I know it's kind of a loaded question, but sort of how Schematis really came to be. I remember that I always wanted to get into creating video game music. 
and I just didn't know how to do it. So the two big games that were just at the tipping point, honestly, was... I know it's going to sound a little cliche, but Final Fantasy VII was a great game, and I loved the music, and that's what got me curious about it. Like, how is this happening? How is this guy making me feel so much from the soundtrack? And then after that, I kind of took a break, and I wasn't as into it as much, but then Final Fantasy IX came out, and I was just like, I have to write video game music. This is the game that made me, like I said, I have to do it. I don't know how, but I'm going to figure it out. Yeah, that game had some amazing music, especially the opening theme alone. It's just so wonderful, but so heartbreaking because it's definitely not the same type of music that Final Fantasy VII had, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, very intense. But, you know, Nine was just very, like, it was very intimate, just very, you know, very emotional. Yes, very, very much so. And I think that the the composer, Uematsu, did over well over 100 tracks for that. I think he, he completely outdid himself because I believe, like, after that game... He ended up uh, collaborating on the next Final Fantasy with several other composers. I think he was just like, you know what? I did my time. Let me get some help now. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I respect him for it. But, you know, that was the game that said, Cal, you have to write music for video games. And I think it's also hard because I just I really didn't know where I was or what to do. And I, it wasn't making sense. I'm like, does this guy play a ton of instruments at all at once? Is he like recording separate ones? And then luckily... Maybe about maybe two years later, I, I ran into Overclocked Remix. And then I was like, okay, now I'm getting closer, right? Because they were making, um, I think this was like at the time of uh, Street Fighter HD Remix. At that point, when I heard like Zircon's track for Fei Long, and then I heard like uh, Jose the Bronx Rican's Vega theme, this was blowing my mind. I couldn't believe that people who were not from Japan, were creating music. And I felt like, well, I could do it too. It's not completely exclusive to Japan anymore. It's it's definitely hitting U.S. in a big way. And the fans are are doing things and, and paying tribute and homage to like the greatest like video games of all time with their personal arrangements. I want to do this. And that's when I messaged Andrew Aversa via like YouTube. And I was like, hey, look, how do I do this? And he gave me a very detailed breakdown. I, I didn't honestly expect him to respond, but he did, which I, I'm so grateful for to this day. And it was a very, very long list. And it wasn't like, I don't know how to how to say it. Like, it wasn't a like shortcut. It was very detailed steps on how, if you're serious, would it go. Right. And I, I basically followed that until I got kind of where I am now. I think with each passing generation, and especially a lot of us, you know, like you and I, musicians you often hear about okay who were their inspirations you know you think about like the music they grew up with and a lot of the bands or artists that maybe let's say their parents played or things of that nature but what i love about now is that video games aren't just things that people do just as a passing hobby they're actually influencing their own music much in a way like you know some rock band will say like well i listened to the rolling stones as a kid or but now you can like well i listened to the legend of zelda lost woods theme and that made me want to start composing music And I am always blown away by how influential it is just out of just strictly the games themselves. That's right. I fully agree with that. And it's it's a calling. I think it's just something that you're drawn to. You can't really explain it. I remember that uh, the first time I was really taking interest in music. I was really, really into it. And I told my parents, right? The problem was they didn't really believe me. So I basically, you know what I mean? That's so unfortunate. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Yeah, they didn't really believe that I was going to do it. So when I I asked for a a keyboard for Christmas, they they gave it to me. And uh, 
I, I practiced for like hours at a time. And you know what? The good thing is at the time, YouTube was like exploding. I remember this. And it was exploding with tutorials no matter where you went. And I still remember there was a YouTuber I follow. He still has a channel there. It's a massive channel at this point. His name was Liper. Um, and he did chord progressions. He did like um keep like he would teach you how to 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 create triads and this and that and i was like well i can like just watch this guy for free on youtube and and learn how to play the piano and that's what happened and i just started hitting keys and even now i don't feel like i'm a great piano player but i feel like the the basic tools for creating they're there like the building blocks are there right and and so i can just use that and then go from and then play around with it until i find something that i really like and then stay there and then build upon it it's just interesting you know like the internet saved me i feel like there's no excuse to not learn how to do something anymore it's just it's going to be somewhere on the internet whether it be google or youtube and while, I mean, yes, you can argue, is it always used in the best way? No, not necessarily. But with a little bit of technical know-how and a decent enough setup that's relatively inexpensive, you know, you can have your own performing space. And you're right, like I said, with the internet, with YouTube and things of that nature, it blew the gates wide open. And a lot of what I do on the show is talk to people who are indie creators or up-and-coming creators or people who have established fan bases. By that, I just mean that you can find your own fan base outside of what would be the traditional steps. And, you know, I know of artists who are very well-known. They, you know, sell very well, and they have just these great fan bases. But, you know, you're not they're not necessarily playing at Madison Square Garden, but now the beauty of it is they don't necessarily have to in order to, quote-unquote, make it. I love it. I love it. You can you can turn yourself into the gatekeeper, literally. Exactly. I love it. <laughs> and I've been listening to so much of your music, and I think what's just fascinating isn't just necessarily your compositions, but like I said earlier, the fact that you take so many different styles of music and sort of blend them and make them your own. And getting into your latest release, Anareal, is just that the music itself is so powerful, but then... Once I started reading, getting into the backstory and just realizing, well, you know, it is powerful, but it also comes from a, a very serious subject. So I don't know if you wanted to get into a little bit about Enreal and just really how that project came about. Yeah, you know, it's 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 really interesting because, like, I honestly thought about it for a while and I wasn't sure if I should have done it or not, but I just took the leap and went for it. The person that I, I really wanted to um create that album for it was someone that i still respect a lot we don't talk as much as we used to but when i graduated from college i was getting my feet wet with freelancing and music and things of that nature and i i can't forget this i worked for um two undergrad students at the time and they had no money and they wanted me to write like a, a soundtrack for a little android game they were working on or something like that and they were very passionate about it so I said to them, look, uh, I'll, I I basically gave it to them for a steal. I was like, look, I'll write your music for like seven bucks oh, wow. per, per, per minute of music, like seven bucks per minute. And th- it was super dirt cheap, but I was a college student once. I, I get it, right? You, you toiletries, necessities. And I knew that they really wanted to create this game. So I wanted to do something that I, I felt was right for them. And it turns out the game didn't finish because one of them had health issues, but he recommended me to Jessica Fong and the project that she was working on at the time. And that's where Anareal kind of comes from, because Anareal is Jessica Fong's artist name. That's her artist handle. And 
after working with her on her project and seeing how passionate she was and seeing her so candidly speaking about child abuse and, and mental suffering and, and things of that nature, and just to see like a different twist on game dev, because to me, it was all happiness, right? It was all happiness and sunshines, but she was very transparent and she showed the, the darker side to it. Like, it wasn't like she was like always sad, right. but sh- she had a dark past and completely turned it on its head and is in a way better place right now. And I thought that was so inspiring. As out of respect, I wanted to make an album that was a tribute to her and like her storyline. That's incredible. Yeah, it's it's like it's a whole bunch of things. I remember the name Anna Real. I asked her because I was interested in it. I liked it. I was like, hey, where did Anna Real come from? And she said that, uh, like, I don't. I want to paraphrase this because I don't want to misquote her. But right. in high school, she said that uh, a few people asked her, like, what? How would she describe her art style? And she would say, "Anarealistic." Now, I feel that it was uh, a project that kind of was on touchy ground, and I didn't want to make a mistake right. because I didn't. I didn't tell her about it, and I didn't tell her I was doing it until it was finished. So I had to make sure that it was done right and that she would be okay with it. And she loved it. So it, it worked itself out. I would in no ways trivialize the magnitude of such a subject as abuse and especially, you know, child abuse and things like that. Because as we come to realize that it affects a lot more people and I am, you know, I'm not a statistician, so I don't have like the exact numbers, but it affects a lot more people than I think we realize. And if I've learned nothing else in the last several years is that a lot of things that happen in the world, and especially on a personal level, they can affect you in such a way. And what happens is people feel uncomfortable talking about them. Mm -hmm. And I feel like in order for there to really be a change and, you know, dare I say, like a healing, so to speak, I think it's important that we do address and discuss these topics. And one thing I know about music is that that's one way that I think is pretty universal. And I actually would argue that music is probably one of the few universal languages we have left because any performer can go anywhere around the world, still play, and still elicit the necessary emotions and feelings regardless of genre. And to use that music as a way to carry a message, you know, I feel like that's also very important because some people, that may be the only way they understand. And while it's definitely hard, because like I said, it's someone's, you know, personal life. This isn't necessarily a fictional story, but maybe in a way this can help somebody else who either may be going through it, have gone through it, or maybe mm-hmm. enlighten somebody else who may not be aware. That that was beautifully said. <laughs> That's actually beautifully said. And it's funny because the musical language as a universal language is 100% accurate. You know, I get messages from people from France and who are Portuguese and who are from Brazil. And it's just like, even though I can't speak the language, I always use Google Translate just so I can communicate with them. Because they always like drop like really nice comments. And I'm like, oh my God, this is amazing. I don't know how I got over there and how you heard it. But listen, like... I'm going to show you that I respect you coming here as much as anybody else, right? Right. Even though I'm not a fluent speaker, like, we understand the sound. Yeah, and it's crazy, like, to create something. (laughs) I even do this to myself where it's like, you create something, and yes, as a performer, you always want to make sure that your work is reaching as many people and you want your stuff to make an impact. 
But I think there's always that moment where when you do get that feedback, you're like, wait, how did you know about this? Like, <laughs> <laughs> like wait a minute. I don't get it. <laughs> you know, it's like you, sometimes it's like, don't let like, be careful what you wish for. Then you start realizing, you said, like, people are sending you things in a language you don't even speak, but yet they're getting it. They're tuning in. And what's more, like, powerful than that? Like, that's unbelievable. Ah, uh, very true. Very true statement. Let's go into a little bit of the tracks and what I absolutely love is recovery oh and i don't know if you wanted to get into why this was such a very important one for you to highlight i feel like this was the the big one because it's the second track on the album and i put it there on purpose like the first track fragments was really the happy song it's like the happiest feel good song on the album i feel And, and that was the the moment that I wanted the the listener to be like okay well this is gonna be the tone of the whole album but it really wasn't right what I wanted to, to signify was the the happy moments in, in Jess's childhood, the, the happier moments. And then recovery was like, wow, not everything is happy. It was a complete switch. And then now I'm taking you in, and I had to have a vocalist do it, which is why I had to bring in Carmen Lookshire, who was actually uh, a college classmate back in the day. And then we just kind of linked up a couple of years later after we got, you know, got settled into the real life and got jobs and everything. And I had to have her do it because I don't think I was able to do it alone for what I wanted to create. And that was to really drive in the the message that, listen, mental health is real. Sadness is real. This is how it makes me feel as opposed to sugarcoating it. And that's what recovery is, kind of like talking about the, the, the kind of a symbolic death, rebirth kind of thing. Um, and it's it was a deep track, and a lot of people did feel like it was like one of the craziest things I've done so far, and that's what I really really wanted. Like this is definitely the track that's just like it, it, it shakes things up, and that really sets the tone for the rest of the album. And it's especially interesting that the message of the song is presented in a way that wouldn't traditionally be presented. There's a lot of different genres at play, and while it may be like a slightly more up-tempo track, but yet this isn't necessarily just video game music. This isn't necessarily just dance music. There's a heart behind it. Right. This music, much like any other instrument, can be used in different ways. And again, I, I think that's kind of awesome in as much of being able to use the tools and to do different things with them that wouldn't normally be expected. Part of that too is just because like I, I don't really find myself as a certain style of music that I'm good in. I, I like I know it's not really good to be a jack of all trades. It's it's really like get one thing that you do really well and then kind of branch out. I just feel like I like I like communicating with stories, and I think communication with stories is what I I, I try to do in any medium. Right. Whether it be photography, I love photography, videography, which I'm getting into more now, and in music. So if I can tell a story with audio. That's just my main thing, storytelling. And I'll use whatever tools I have to to get that point across. So I don't want to just be stuck in like saying, this genre needs to be here, this genre needs to be there. A little blend of everything, and then it can create something really, really interesting, you know? And that's where I feel I am. Yeah, and creativity, you never know where it strikes. And if it's leading you someplace, you might as well just go with it, because trying to deny that, you're, you're kind of doing yourself and anybody who may also just engage in it you know kind of a disservice that's right we're gonna take a quick break i feel like this would be a perfect opportunity to let people listen to recovery off of anna real and we'll be right back 
and we're back. I'm speaking to Cal Warner, a.k.a. Schematis, and we've been discussing the inspiration behind his latest project, Anna Real, and you just heard Recovery. And now, this is always my favorite part of the show, getting into sort of the geeky side of things. And obviously, you mentioned Final Fantasy before. Oh, yeah. And the gentleman who I spoke to, How I Met You, you know, he's going through and asking a list of, like, oh, are you a fan of this? Are you a fan of uh, this game? That game, like, he's breaking down, like, the work they've done, and I'm like, it was so hard to remain professional, because (laughs) I was just kind of like, are you kidding me? These games are my life. Of course, right? (laughs) Oh, shout out to Jason. Jason is a good guy. (laughs) Yeah, Jason, I really enjoyed the conversation, because the whole time I'm trying so hard not to just be like, I'll put it to you this way. I mean, obviously, Zelda was the game that brought my family together. It was like the gateway drug to other RPGs. Secret of Mana almost ruined my life, but it also (laughs) just enriched it at the exact same time. (laughs) So good. So good. Like, there's just all these great RPGs. And, you know, mentioning Final Fantasy, and I know you mentioned Seven, but I just had this debate the other day with a friend of mine where it's like, Seven is good, but you know what? Seven didn't have an actual opera mini game that Six had. <laughs> <laughs> this is like the argument that would like break barriers. I I mean, truthfully, you know, 7 is going to always have the most hype, I think. It came at the perfect time for that, you know, the first step into 3D. I know I'm going to get some heat, but I think Final Fantasy 9 blows 7 out. I think it just kills it. Not that I don't like love 7 cuz I played through 7 multiple times and I played through 9 multiple times, but I think it's just it was wrong timing on 9's part cuz it was coming at the end of the PS1 era and then Final Fantasy 7 was right at the beginning of the PS1 era. So it's like it's just a different feeling overall. Yeah. For years, you know, 7 has been like the gold standard of JRPGs for a lot of people because I feel like the era before that, you know, especially the Super Nintendo era, a lot of those games are very well received and, and in certain circles very popular, but I feel like they're very kind of under the radar, whereas 7, it's like it brought it to the masses. I don't know what it was about that game, but it just sort of blew things up where now everybody's seeing it. Right. And it's like... Imagine if, okay, like a Michael Bay movie, like, I don't know, like a Transformers, where, you know, the first movie is all explosions, it's, you know, hyper-stylized, but then two movies later, it became like a character study, (laughs) where there's no explosions, there's very little in the way of fireworks, but it's Optimus Prime, you know, having heart-to-heart talks about, (laughs) you know, the nature of being from Cybertron. And you're like, wait a minute, where's all the explosions? Where's the big fights? And I feel like that's Final Fantasy IX, where it's dialed down, and ah, uh, IX is just so good. And there was a heavy emphasis on character development on IX, and it it just really brought me to a point where I was just like, oh my god, this is this is what I need. Yeah. When, when when I felt that I was Zidane for that moment of time on disc three, and I was just like, wait, whoa, something is happening here. Something, <laughs> <laughs> this is something I haven't really experienced. I think Final Fantasy four was actually really good with character development as well, which is why I loved it too. It was really about the you know making yourself a better person through through time. Right. And I just I think just nine just knocked it out of the park. It was just wow. Vivi's story, I cried like a baby. Right. <laughs> this is the first ever time in any video game that i shed legit tears now like i've been sad in games before 
you know, things like that. And I've been bummed out or been scared at times you're supposed to be scared. But that's the first time, like, tears are streaming down my face. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, like, these poor people. Oh, my goodness. That's that's heartbreaking. You know what's funny? I haven't ever cried at a game until I played. And this is going to be a weird one because it's not even an RPG or anything. Life is Strange. That game killed me emotionally. I have not played that one yet. So is it as good as everybody says? I think if you haven't played it yet, then you should play it, but don't watch any Let's Plays. I guarantee if you watch a Let's Play, it might ruin the experience. Okay. I think that's something you should definitely play and just have that joy of like seeing everything for the first time and making all your own choices and then seeing how it plays out. Yeah, there's a lot of games that have been like that lately. And I noticed even, like let's say, the Telltale games... I was playing Guardians of the Galaxy Telltale, and I'm like, all right, I've seen Guardians of the Galaxy movies, I've read some of the comics, and I'm like, okay, this is just going to be another, you know, big adventure story, cool, no problem. By the end of episode one, I was just like, holy Toledo, like, this is, like, oh man, like, I'm feeling something for this, and I'm thinking this is going to be another zany adventure with, you know, talking trees and raccoons, but... Like, you know, they kind of really hit home. And I'm loving that video games are finally starting to experiment again. Ah, uh, yes. I think so, too. I wonder what it is. Do you think it's, like, the rise of all the indie developers out there? Or do you think it's just more, like... Because, I mean, I know that AAA studios in general, are they're more risk-adverse. So they, they don't really want to take too many gambles. Right. But I think that they're getting to a point slowly when they're just like, you know what? We got to push the envelope. Like we can't keep throwing out call of duties every now and you know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) I agree. And don't get me wrong. I love my first person shooters and I'll still play my GTA online almost nightly. But I think to answer your question, like, I feel like it's a mix of things. Like you're right. Mm. I think indie developers, and there's a lot of games that came out. I don't remember the name of the game, but there's, um, there's a lot of indie games that have come out that, it was kind of funny where they took sort of a classic aesthetic, you know, a lot of them sort of even like, you know, the 8-bit aesthetic or even like, let's say, 16-bit. But bringing mm-hmm. some depth that, let's say, like a AAA title wouldn't have, like, and I, I'm sorry, I feel like Call of Duty is like, whoever's listening who's an Uber fan is going to probably turn it off. But, like, <laughs> I love playing those games and, you know, they're fun to play with, especially multiplayer. But it's amazing that a game that looks like something that might have come from, like, the Atari whether it be through the soundtrack or the gameplay, much more fulfilling than a game like that. And I feel like indie developers sort of got it. And also people eventually, and I've noticed this with comics, I've noticed with the music, I've noticed with any type of pop culture phenomenon is that, you know, people will get it for a little bit and they'll enjoy it, but eventually they're going to want something new and something fresh, even if they don't yeah. like specifically ask for it. But if they're shown mm-hmm. something new, and, you know, going back, let's say, with the year music, showing them a different way, it'll open the floodgates. Mm-hmm. So now, like, little by little, games, like you said, Life is Strange, and I know even, like, let's say, what was the other one that came, like, like The Last of Us? Oh, man, yeah. I mean, I'm not great with stealth games, so I, I tend mm-hmm. to not do well at it, but by the same token, that story gets me. Yeah, that was a deep one. <laughs> that actually was the second closest game to getting me to cry. Like, I was like, whoa. That was a really good one. You you really hit a lot of points because I uh, I remember when Call of Duty like really first started coming out, Call of Duty Modern Warfare, and I was in love. I couldn't put the game down. You know, I was like I was into that. I was like a tenth prestige for no reason, and I had a gold in this, like all this stuff, and I loved it. I was into it, and then over time, when when Part Two came out, the magic definitely dropped a little bit. 
I still played it, but not the same way. And then every following game after that, I just stopped caring less and less until I just stopped buying them. Right. And then now they're like creating another one. I'm not sure if it's out yet or if it's coming out where they're kind of reverting backwards to like an old kind of like not modern warfare, none of the space jump hovering, <laughs> you know, you know what I mean? No, no wall jumps and anything like that, but like really taking it back to the roots of like the old school, like World War II kind of style. And I think I'm going to buy that right. Like right away. The Battlefield games, I remember being at, like, you know, oh my gosh, it sounds like this is so long ago, but it really wasn't, like, cyber cafes having, like, LAN parties playing, like, Battlefield 1942, and, like, that series did the same thing where it went modern, it went new, it went flashy, and then they went around and was like, now we're going to World War One, or you're riding on horses, and people went nuts for it, <laughs> and then Call of Duty was like, we have, uh, but we're in space. And meanwhile, like me and like my my stepson were like having a debate on. Wait a minute, you can't physically shoot bullets in space because it just doesn't work that way. Because, but then I'm like, all right, I don't want to get into the science of it. I just know it doesn't appeal to me. <laughs> <laughs> my point exactly. So yeah, like it's funny. Like every so often, like you know, things will go into a certain direction, but eventually, much like musicians, they'll experiment. But then there's always like that moment where you just kind of, you know, come back and you kind of go back to your roots. I know it's such a cliched phrase, but I think it happens with a lot of people and they just they want something different or even something at least familiar. Not like the same old thing, but just enough to be like, all right, you know what? I need to be able to relate to this somehow. That's right. You know, and I, I feel like that's it's going to be the same with me. It's going to be the same with a lot of artists. And I honestly don't really feel stuck in one place, but I know at the end of the day, if anything and all else fails, I'll go right back to writing RPG music because that's where I feel like my heart is. That's where I grew up. That's what made me stay out of trouble. I I, I think it even taught me how to read. Like I, I needed to play these games. They were very entertaining. I think that if that's where I would go and if, if everything else crashed, I would go right back right. to just writing. But I have noticed with uh, Anna Real that you have branched out into a more uh, storytelling style of uh, musicianship. Are there any plans to kind of further expand on that and using music to tell more stories, you know, in addition to soundtracks? That's really interesting. Yes, there's going to be more. I don't know exactly 100% what the next thing is going to be. That's a scary a scary thing to admit. I have no idea. I know that Anaril was a big one, but I, I know that they, it can't stop here. On the side, I actually do work with an animation studio, and... The music that I write for them, it's a little bit more friendly, a little bit more bouncy, but sometimes it, it can translate to something a little bit deeper. And so the stories that I'm, I'm creating the audio for are generally more informative. So I guess I'm getting experience doing that with these guys, but I think I'm going to take a little bit of a break after Enereal. Uh Just fo focus more on just school for a little while, but I know it sucks, but... I've I've had a lot of people saying, hey, when are you going to put out videos? When are you going to put out more tutorial videos? And I wish they knew. I want to so bad, and I try my best, but it's just really, really difficult to find that moment. But once I do, I, I want to actually start talking to people and showing how I how I begin the process of creating these these melodies and like how I think about storytelling via audio and just showing it how it's done, just so there's no mystery behind it. And, you know, I think that people can, can learn a lot from just the thought process of something. And, the, and that's all. That's all we want to get at. Yeah. And it's also a way to give back. Um, you know, like you said earlier in the show, 
it was watching you know these tutorials and engaging in these things that that's how you learn and i think that's kind of cool that what often should happen is you know those you know how, what's the phrase you know each one teach one you know mm, and, I like and I, I it's not mine i honestly i don't know where it came from <laughs> I, I i feel <laughs> like i should know these things but you know you hear something so many times it just you know becomes a part of the lexicon and you don't really think about where it originated but that was told to me by uh, Mega Ran a couple of episodes ago, and I think that's important to use that. And you're right. I mean, once you get your ducks in a row, because like I said, if it's not the right place and the right time, it's not going to come out well. And anything we're doing takes time, but I do think that is a really good concept to use your platform to teach other people, because you can, you know, be teaching the next person not only just, you know, coming after you, but also who's also working with you. And what's the point if you're not collaborating in some way? That's right. That's 100%. You, wait, you just mentioned Mega Ran. He's absolutely incredible. I think I I heard his uh, Splash Woman track, and I and I fell in love with his work from there. And then I heard Black Materia, and it's like, oh my god, this guy's crazy. And then from him, I found out about Samus. Have you heard of Samus? Oh my gosh, I, I'm a huge Samus fan. Yeah? Oh, Let me find I out just... you know about Samus. See, see you should have said that at the beginning of the show. Now. <laughs> <laughs> I just bought her album and I'm it was I'm like wow this is really great. So is that is that what's referred to that genre as nerdcore? Well, with the two of them, you know, it started out that way where obviously influenced by video games and the games that they played, but then where it was less about rapping about the games themselves, it was being able to tell even let's say their personal stories. So yeah, mm-hmm. I think you know nerdcore total respect for the genre, but I've noticed the two of them have been really sort of branching out and doing some new different things that I feel like maybe Nerdcore hadn't been doing for a while. And Mm -hmm. I, again, that's no disrespect to anybody else who works in the genre, but I just love the fact that like when, let's say when Samus did, um, well, there's two songs in particular, uh, Mighty Morphin, which I think was just incredible because to be able to be like, hey, you know what? Black people like nerdy shit too. (laughs) Yeah, right. That's true. And, you know, a little bit more somber, but when she did that one uh, track, Three Fits, referring to the unfortunate rise of police shootings and things like that, right. it was powerful because you can easily rap about or just perform and, you know, talk about one particular subject. But again, using that platform to bring light to things, much like Anna Real does, uh, subjects or topics that people don't like to talk about a whole lot, it's important. And I, that's why I love the two of them. But yeah, like, I'm really hoping to talk to Samus one day, but she's low-key one of my big influences. That's an excellent point, too. You made it, like, I honestly think that, and this is also hard for artists, like, once they make that first step in doing something a little bit different and, and bringing awareness, it could be about 50-50, right? I mean, some of the people that originally followed you are going to be like, wait, what do you think you're doing? Right? This is not what I signed up for. And if the fact that they continue to do it, that means that they're following their greater purpose, which I believe in like 100%. If you feel like there's something you have to say that's not being said and you have a way to say it, I think you should totally go for it. People are going to not follow you anymore. People are going to say like, I'm not going to buy any more of your work. But you know what? The payoff is greater, right? right? And the fact that you can touch people in a way that they can say, you know what? You you changed my life or this made me really open my eyes to this. That's the key. A lot of things that, you know, I heard from Mega and hearing from you and a lot of things that I've been hearing about Samus, you know, on her own pages, it's just, it kind of hits home in a lot of ways. And thank you for what you do. 
and just again for showing people a different way. Appreciate that. But please let the listeners know where they can find you. And so any social networking sites or other areas that people can uh, listen to more of your work, uh, feel free to let them know. Yeah, I'm on uh, SoundCloud at slash schematist. I'm on YouTube at schematist and I'm on Twitter and Instagram at schematist. <laughs> so please, any one of those is fine. I respond to all messages. And if you just want to chat, I'm always free on Twitter. Just bother me anytime. Oh, yeah, we're definitely going to be talking more soon. You're <laughs> I'll be down for that. <laughs> Absolutely. But thank you so much for stopping by and sharing your story and also the story behind Anna Real. And like I said, thank you for being daring enough to tell that story. And I recommend that people check this out, listen to it, really get into it, and just really understand the gravity of it. And also just check out your other work, too, because it's really enjoyable. And I really hope that more and more people check out your music. And again, thank you so much for chatting today. I had a lot of fun. Uh, I appreciate that, Adrian. The pleasure was mine. I appreciate that so much. And hopefully we could do another one like uh, down the line somewhere because, you know, mental health is real. It's something we don't talk about, but it's definitely here. Yeah, absolutely. I got to make sure I use this space to bring those things to light, too. That'll do it for this episode of Adrian Has Issues, and we will see you next issue.